the studios of KPCW in Park City, this is The Mountain Life, Healthy Living in the Wasatch. I'm Lynn Ware Peak. This morning, I speak first with Dr. Nzinga Harrison. She is a board-certified physician with specialties in psychiatry and addiction medicine. She discusses her new book, Unaddiction, Six Mind-Changing Conversations That Could Save a Life. Then Elcio Zanata, the founder and CEO of Aubergine Kitchen here in Park City. He'll tell us why he only serves food that you'd want to serve to your children or your grandchildren. It's a practical way to approach a healthy menu. That's all coming up this hour. Stay with us. We'll be back after these words from our underwriters. Welcome back to The Mountain Life. I'm Lynn Ware Peak. In the United States, 46% of adults have a family member or close friend who is or has been addicted to drugs. Now, despite how widespread it is, addiction is one of the most misunderstood medical conditions of our time. My next guest is Dr. Nzinga Harrison. She's a board certified physician with specialties in psychiatry and addiction medicine. And she draws from a wealth of well-researched studies and years of personal experience. She joins me to discuss her new book, Unaddiction, Six Mind-Changing Conversations That Could Save a Life. Dr. Nzinga Harrison, welcome to The Mountain Life. It's great to have you. Thank you so much. And I hear the mountain life is full of snow right now. So <laughs> Finally, it took winter a bit to get here, but it's here in a big way now. <laughs> so, you know, as I was reading through your book, something struck me as we say that people have an addictive personality. But I'm sensing that you're going to tell me that we shouldn't even say something like that because maybe more correct would be XYZ person has addictive DNA? For sure. So your spidey senses are tingling exactly right. Um, The harm of saying a person has an addictive personality is reinforcing that stigma, that addiction is a choice, that addiction is who a person is, that addiction is a moral shortcoming. Um, When really, if you look at the people who, quote, have an addictive personality, what they have is a lot of addiction risk factors. Um, And so what we talk about in the book for any chronic medical condition, which addiction is, you really have biological, psychological, environmental risk factors, and you have those that you were born into. So like you said, your DNA risk is your biological born into risk factor. And you have those that develop over your life and into adulthood. And so if you look at those six buckets, people with, quote, addictive personality usually are just stacked with risk factors biologically, psychologically, and environmentally. So if we can separate that from the person, then we can make it easier to ask for help and intervene. Mm, Absolutely. Well, so many of us know someone, I mean, the story is is ubiquitous, right? Someone who has an injury, ends up in the hospital, and then deals with chronic pain or or acute pain, and mm-hmm. it's prescribed opioids, for example, and that's where the addiction comes. So that's your environmental influence. Like maybe you have this tendency biologically towards addiction, but that's something that enters in. Can you also talk about the psychological component of this trifecta that you're talking about? 
Yeah, for sure. So psychologically, like I said, divided into childhood, kind of like what you're born into and then adulthood, um, what's happening. So we talk in the book about adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, A-C-E-S, um, as well as the antidote to those, which are pieces, positive childhood experiences. But ACEs is a 10 item questionnaire. And it's like, if you experienced abuse, if you had instability when you were younger, if you had a um, parent leave the house, either divorce or incarceration, if you had a parent with mental illness, if you had a parent with addiction, all of these put us at risk, not just psychologically, but also change our biology as we're children and increase our risk for a number of illnesses in adulthood, diabetes, high blood pressure, asthma, cancer, addiction, and premature death. And so when we look psychologically, if you can know what your risk factor is, then there are interventions you can make, the pieces, positive childhood experiences also, you can put those pieces in place um, as an adult and you can start to decrease that risk. And so I tell folks to think of it like, if I diagnose you with high blood pressure, people automatically think, stop eating so much salt. Yes, that's environmental. Please stop eating so much salt right now as an act of prevention, but also get your stress down because mm -hmm. physiologically stress drives your blood pressure up, increasing your risk. Physiologically, stress changes your emotional axis, putting you at risk for addiction. Mm, yes. Before we delve into this further, I also wanted to ask you about sort of the the opposite of what we're talking about. So say you're a person who looks at your life and you say, well, gosh, I have no biological risk factors for addiction, no psychological or environmental risk factors for addiction. Gosh, I'm going to be fine. I think I'll have another drink mm -hmm. or, you know, I think I'll experiment around with recreational drugs that may mm -hmm. be for someone else addictive. What is the caveat about that? I mean, it's, it's a fallacy of thinking, but I have a feeling that a lot of people do it. Yeah, um, I think the caveat about that is that drug use is ubiquitous. We all use drugs recreationally. If you go to Starbucks every day, that's because caffeine is a drug. Like when I go in the airport, the Starbucks line, my goodness, right? Because caffeine is a drug. The Dunkin' Donuts line, like my goodness, because sugar runs through the same dopamine pathway for drugs. And so one is just like taking the judgment out of using drugs. We all use drugs. Two, if you know what your risk factors are, I, I use diabetes so much, but same thing um, as I was having this conversation with my kids because I let my kids know, listen, mom's DNA is stacked for addiction and other mental health conditions. So we need to practice some prevention in our psychological and our environmental domains, right? Because our DNA is stacked. What that means is your friends might be able to do a line of cocaine in the bathroom and have way lower consequences potentially than you because of your DNA risk or because of your environmental risk right now. And so that really comes to recognizing early warning signs. So sure, if you're going to do a line of cocaine, recognize when a line of cocaine is becoming two lines, three lines, four lines. If you're going to drink cocktails with your friends, recognize when one drink is turning into 
four drinks, a bottle of wine, a bottle of scotch, right? And so this book teaches people how to monitor yourself in real time so that you can intervene early if you think maybe an addiction is developing. If you're just joining me on The Mountain Life, my guest is Dr. Nzinga Harrison. She's a an addiction specialist, and she's written a new book called Unaddiction, Six Mind-Changing Conversations That Could Save a Life. Well, I think in what you've talked about so far, you have sort of in, introduced these mind-changing conversations, mm -hmm. recognizing risk factors and things like that. But can you just give us a brief overview of those six conversations? Sure. So biologically, um, you're born with a risk for DNA, and it varies on average between 40% and 60% of your risk of developing addiction is coded in your DNA the day you're born. So that conversation is looking back at your family history, because that's how you know what your DNA is. And so often we hide the addiction in our families that hiding is putting us at risk. So the book tells you how to have the conversation about your inherited biological risk. Psychologically, the things we experience as children, so we mentioned it earlier um, in the show, your adverse childhood experiences, they are all a list of things that people typically hide that they've experienced because of our shame around them. And so the book teaches you how to have that conversation, look at your adverse childhood experiences, how to have that conversation with your family or with a friend or with a therapist or with a doctor. Environmentally, your ZNA is a concept that we um, introduce in the book, is the zip code you're born in predicts your health in adulthood more than your DNA. And so how do you have the conversation about the environment you were born in? And then the other three conversations are conversations in adulthood biologically. What illnesses or injuries have you had? How do you have that conversation with a doctor? Psychologically, what is your current psychological approach to the world? How do you have that conversation with your support system? And then environmentally, what are the aspects in your life that maybe right now are putting you at risk? And how do you have the conversations with the people in your life to address that? Speaking of conversations with a doctor, I was surprised at to see the statistics on how much we don't we're not honest with our doctors when asked questions about addiction. What are those numbers? So that number is actually 81% of people are not honest with their doctor. And it's not when talking about addiction, it's just period. Yeah. And so this is even when we're talking about things that are not as stigmatized as addiction has been. And so I really, um, you know, I think that also comes back to being judged. We don't want our doctors to think of us differently. We don't want our doctors to think we're making bad decisions. Uh, we, we want our doctors to help us. And so I laugh about this, like I say, like, you know, nobody can talk about your family, but you can talk about your family. So mm -hmm. I'm a doctor. <laughs> and so I can say, this is on us. When people tell us something painful and scary and we say, well, you should have made a different decision or if you had just done what I told you to do, you wouldn't be feeling this way. That person's not gonna tell us next time. Mm -hmm. And they're actually not gonna tell their next doctor next time because they might get that response. And so the more 
I co-founded this company called Eleanor Health. We take care of people with addiction, like in this framework that you see in the book. And ours is just tell us everything. You will not be judged. You will not be kicked out of treatment. You will not be made to feel bad. Just tell us everything because once we know everything, we can work to get to your magic formula together. But if we don't know everything, there are possibly things that we're missing an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, I can definitely envision going to my doctor and saying, oh man, I just, I have asthma right now. I w- I've been waking up, I'm wheezing, I exercise, I have asthma, it feels like this, and I could go on and on and on. And yet, if I had some concerns about addiction, yes, there is that, there is that stigma. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, are doctors <laughs> trained in this? Do doctors know this? It's your primary care physician. Mm-hmm. Have they been trained in medical school or elsewhere about this? The, the answer is becoming yes. But until about five years ago, the answer honestly was no. So when I trained, very little even mention of addiction in my medical training. I did psychiatry training. It was a few weeks. That's it. I went on to specialize in addictions, which is why I have this skill set. We are now have recognized that every single doctor needs to have education on addiction. And so it's going into medical education. It's going into required education to renew your physician license. But this is one of the things we teach in the book, how to have this conversation with your doctor. And what I say is your doctor might not know what to do with this conversation. But as doctors, we are trained to go figure out what to do when we don't know. And so give your doctor that grace as long as they respond with compassion and listening give them that grace to go skill up. If they don't respond with compassion and listening, then I encourage you to look for another doctor that will. Mm. One of the conversations is how to start a cultural revolution. And in our town, in the last couple of years, a group was started uh, that was providing social opportunities that were uh, conducted without drinking, for example. Yes. And what I found is a lot of people say they want to do that, but they don't. They don't end up attending the functions, and it's a little bit hard to get going. Dry January. It's another cultural revolution, right? Uh-huh. Um, so people know about it. How how can we become much more aware of this issue, and how can we make these? successful, these efforts that people are starting? Yeah, I think you're making a huge contribution right now with this show. Like we have to be talking about it. And so I would love for whoever was trying to start that cultural revolution in your town to try again now, because they may have just been ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. So like dry January, it was like, why would I do dry January? Somebody will think I have a problem with drinking. And I can't take the risk that somebody might think I have a problem with drinking. Now, dry January is like all over social media. Zero proof bars popping up everywhere. Zero proof liquor stores, right? Like package stores popping up everywhere. Mocktails. I gave everybody mocktails for Christmas, right? And my family. Um, We go to restaurants 
and you're starting to see an alcohol-free section on the drink menu in more places. And so the ember is catching fire. And to answer your question, those folks who were doing sober social events five years ago, 10 years ago, and nobody was coming, they were planting a seed. And the seed has been watered. And so we just keep doing it. We just keep having the conversations and making it safer for somebody to say, maybe I want to change the way I'm using fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Is it important to, for example, not say, you know, coffee, sugar, alcohol, you know, drugs are, are addictive, but to say instead, there is a propensity among humans to become addicted to these substances. I'm wondering if that's an important distinction. You know, I don't think so because there are substances that are addictive and there are substances that are not addictive. And that is biologically determined by the way that substance interacts with your body. So I think it's really important to say marijuana has addictive risk. So if I choose to use marijuana, smoke it, eat it, vape it, I need to know what the risk of that substance is, and I need to know what my risk is. So when I put those two risks together, I can make the safest choices while I'm using. Marijuana is addictive. Fentanyl is the most addictive, sub well, actually, among, actually, the most addictive substance we have right now are probably cigarettes, right? But so, like, I need to know that that substance is addictive because I will approach that substance differently than I approach sparkling water. I can drink as much sparkling water as I want, but if I'm going to drink spiked sparkling water, I need to know alcohol is addictive so that I can make choices, informed choices around that. Mm -hmm. So I think both and to your question, both mm -hmm. the substance and my own personal risk. Yes, yes. Okay, this is going to be a funny question, but I'm really kind of curious. Why isn't kale addictive, for example? I wish it was. Yeah, that is an amazing question. I love that you asked it. So really what determines a substance is addictive risk. I don't know why it was so hard for my brain to say that word just now. Um, is does it tap the system in our deep brain called the dopamine pathway? And the dopamine pathway is our survival pathway. It tells us what is required for us to survive as an individual and as a species. The natural things that tap that dopamine pathway are food, water, sex, and nurturing. So without those, we can't survive. Any substance that generates a dopamine signal has an addictive risk because your brain interprets that as needs this to survive. And the more threats that you have, psychological threats, emotional threats, environmental threats, emotional pain, which is a threat, physical pain, which is a threat, our brain interprets all of those as threats to our survival. Then when you use a substance that develops that dopamine system, your brain interprets that substance as a solution for the threat. And so kale is not, it's hitting the, the dopamine system in that it's food, but that signal is so small. I say like, that's ping, a light bulb. Cocaine, 
the brightness of the sun. Right. And well, so the more dopamine, the more addictive. Yes. And it makes me think that if we could change the way that we think about substances, mm -hmm. like if I could have my bowl of kale and think and think about it as I'm eating it as this wonderful, wow, I, I feel so good when I do this and try to start to create those dopamine pathways. I mean, maybe something like that would work. And conversely, if we do bad substances like sugar, wow, I'm going to feel horrible after this. And we keep saying that to ourselves. This brings me to your magic formula. What is your magic formula? Uh, you literally set that question up so perfectly because I was like, she's talking about the magic formula. Um, exactly right. So the magic formula is an individualized formula for you. So I made this term up probably about 15 years ago. I was taking care of people with addiction. And the idea is like, if I know what your biological risk factors are, childhood and adult, and I know your psychological risk factors, childhood and adult, and I know your environmental risk factors, childhood and adult, then we can put together a formula for you to address addiction. And so like, think about cancer. What if there was only one chemo regimen, no matter what kind of cancer you had, no matter what your current life circumstances were, no matter what your biology and DNA was, there was one chemo regimen, you could only do it one way. And if it didn't work, that was because you didn't want your cancer to go away. This is what our, our approach to addiction has been. And so for you, I would 100% just listening to you today, I'm like, all right, we got to put in some kale reps into her magic formula. Kale reps couldn't go into my husband's magic formula because God bless him, he's allergic to fresh greens. Like, I don't know how he even survives in life. I didn't believe it when we first got married. I tried to sneak some in on him. It didn't go well, right? Oh, my God. I was like, oh, sorry, love you. But so, like, kale reps cannot go in his magic formula. Kale reps need to go in your magic formula. And so it's just that idea that we can practice personalized approach for you, prevention and treatment. Mm, I love it. Well, the book is Unaddiction, Six Mind-Changing Conversations That Could Save a Life. My guest is Dr. Nzinga Harrison. If you'd like to look her up, her first name is spelled N-Z-I-N-G-A. And where else can we find you, Nzinga? Um, you can find me on social. So I'm on formerly known as Twitter, X, Instagram, <laughs> um facebook linkedin my handle is at nzinga md like medical doctor um and then you can also find me at nzingaharrisonmd.com one thing i want to ask you before i let you go is the conversations the six conversations they're not conversations necessarily that we're having with other people these are conversations that we can have with ourselves correct both and I have yeah. conversations to have with yourself, conversations to have with your children, with actual scripts, conversations to have with your family, your friends, your doctor, actual scripts in the book. But 100% yes, that first conversation with yourself is how you protect yourself. Dr. Nzinga Harrison, thank you so much for joining me on The Mountain Life and best of luck with your book. Thank you so much. I appreciate you creating a platform for this conversation. And Dr. Nzinga Harrison, that's spelled N-Z-I-N-G-A. And then Harrison. We'll be back after these words. 
Welcome back to The Mountain Life. I'm Lynn Ware Peak. My next guest, Elcio Zanata, is the CEO and co-founder, along with his wife and business partner and head chef, Miriam Zanata, of Aubergine Kitchen, newly opened in Park City at Kimball Junction. Beyond serving delicious and healthy food, the Aubergine Kitchen's mission is to change lives, as they say, from the inside out. This purpose is reflected by an evergreen menu featuring flavors from around the world made with only whole ingredients, unprocessed and unrefined, to help everyone eat better and feel different. Elcio Zanata, welcome to The Mountain Life. It's great to have you. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to be here talking to you and uh, getting to know each other better and talking more about uh, our business and our purpose to bring great food and healthy food to the communities. Yes. Well, there's been a lot of buzz already here in Park City about your new location, which is your 10th location. You started in Orem, if I'm not mistaken, and all of the other locations are within the Salt Lake Valley and Utah Valley. Is that right? Yes, it's it's correct. Uh, we, we are in Utah County, Salt Lake County. We have now in Farmington, Dave County, and we have one in St. George, too. You, as I looked at your link LinkedIn profile, it seems as though you have been working with food for quite a long time, but I'd love to go back to sort of the beginnings. You come from Brazil. What was your experience with food in Brazil? I had no experience with food in Brazil. I was in the clothing business for 30 years in Brazil. And uh, we never thought about going to the restaurant business. And uh, many years ago, in 2005, we decided to bring our children to study in America. And our dream was to bring them here and to be graduated. And then we would go back to Brazil. And for us to be here, I mean, we were at the beginning, we, we, I couldn't have a, a work visa to stay legal here. And then a friend of mine in, in, invited me to run a restaurant for him in Florida. He was a friend from Brazil. We had business there together. And I told him, oh, there is no way because I have never worked in the restaurant business. <laughs> and he said, no, but you are good in retail. I had lots of clothing with uh, stores in Brazil. You, you are going to learn and you, you know the principles help you. And then we moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I worked as a managing director for him for four years. And there I learned the basics of restaurant business. Huh? And, mm-hmm. uh, but in Brazil, there was no experience. Okay, but just perhaps with eating and mm-hmm. finding the foods that you like most. When you look at the typical Brazilian diet, how does it compare to the typical American diet? Yeah, in Brazil, uh, mainly because of maybe the economic condition, we used to, since the very beginning, we used to eat uh, more fresh food, uh, mm-hmm. rice, beans, some vegetables. Uh, uh, but my wife especially came from a Lebanese food, and I came from an Italian food. Mm-hmm. Both cultures have food as the main thing. Yeah. To, join, to join families together, to put and spend hours on around the table, talking, laughing, and uh, and this helped us 
to enjoy food so much. My wife, for instance, uh, has such a talent for making great food, no? Lebanese food, uh, Mediterranean food. No? And then uh, there was something in our hearts no? about food. And your wife, Marian, has also co-founded Aubergine Kitchen along with you as the CEO. How have you turned this into a family affair? It's interesting because even in Brazil, we work together in the clothing business. Mm-hmm. We've been married for 40 years and we have been working together so well during this 40, 40 years. It's challenging, but it's been great. And, uh, and she is the head chef. She has a great talent for making recipes, adapting, changing, and he, she has been helping us so much. And it's been fun to work with her. It's great. Uh, our children, uh, we have two, Eduardo and Julia. Eduardo helps us so much with his strategic decisions because he works for a big corporation. And Julia, our sweet daughter, she has helped us since the very beginning. At the beginning, she used to do everything. She was our accountant. She was our payroll person, marketing, social media. Now she works in our marketing team. That's wonderful and unique that uh, a married couple can work their whole lives together in the same same industry. Okay, well, let's move into maybe Marian's menu as the chef. You talk about in your marketing how you use only whole ingredients, unprocessed and unrefined. This is something that I believe we're well aware of in the American diet, but somewhere along the way, we went off track with mm-hmm. providing very processed and very refined, especially fast food. Now, aubergine is one of those places you go to, and it is fast, but knowing that it's unprocessed and unrefined, I think is what really attracts people there. When you first started, how did you decide that this is going to be the kind of restaurant we are? Okay, that's a great question. When we moved here in 2005, 18 years ago, I had so many dreams and lots of goals because I, uh, I was in the midlife career, decide what to do in America, and, uh, but I, I lacked some energy, got sick very easily. And then I attended a seminar in California uh, by Tony Robbins, the famous uh, peak performance guru. And one day of the seminars was about how to get more energy and have a healthier life. And that impacted so much on me, big impact on me, and changed my mindset. Then I took my family there because I knew that I, they needed to buy the idea. And from then on, we start changing our lifestyle, yeah? as far as uh, daily exercise, as far as eating very healthy. That's the main sort of component of healthy life, a healthy life. And my wife, as I told you, has gift for cooking, and we invite our friends, they loved it. And then when we decide to stay in Utah, I, uh, besides looking for uh, working in any business, we, I said, why not to help the community open a small cafe? Because we were struggling. We couldn't go out and eat. Every place we would go, we used, used to eat and felt bad. 
of heavy. Huh? Mm. Then we said, well, let's open this small cafe and open the community. And we did this in 2014 in Oran, a small location. And since the very first day, people start coming, coming and never stopping. Mm. Well, that's nice. The name Aubergine Kitchen. Aubergine, of course, means eggplant in French. And well, you also serve aubergine on your menu. Yes, it's interesting because aubergine is also in the English dictionary as a synonymous with eggplant. But uh, the Mediterranean food uses lots of aubergine. We have baba ganoush. We have uh, aubergine salad né, that we make with uh, eggplant. And we thought it's cute. Né? And, uh, and uh, as you said, it has French origin. Né? Uh -huh. And uh, we decide to, to use this name. Yes, I like it. It's a great name. If you're just joining me on The Mountain Life, my guest is Elcio Zanetta. He's the CEO and founder of Aubergine Kitchen. It was founded a decade ago in Orem, Utah, and most recently, the 10th location at Kimball Junction here in Park City. One of the things I really notice about your menu is that you mark all of those dietary restrictions up on your menu. So if it's gluten-free, if it's um, vegan or vegetarian, what else are you informing your customers of? Yeah, we, I mean, we know that there are so many people who have allergy huh? uh, and that comes most often from, as we were discussing about the diet huh? and the processed foods and other things. And we try to show them what uh, they can eat. Huh? Uh, for instance, most of our menu is gluten-free. We have just one item today that uh, is not gluten-free, the pita bread. Huh? Even though we are not a gluten-free establishment, huh? but most of our customers who have celiac disease, they come and they eat and they report to us, oh, I feel good, I feel good. And uh, nuts, now we use, you always want to use a healthy fat. And this health fat comes from extra virgin olive oil and nuts. Then we use lots of nuts, uh, walnut, almond. Huh? Uh, we, we use lots of seeds. And then it's important to report this to customer due to the allergy that some may have. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the things that, as you said, vegan items. Now some, we have a population who, which it's just vegan. Then we mark there for them to know, oh, this is a good option for them. Yes. And then what percentage of your ingredients are organic? We have a large percent of our organic items, but we are not 100% organic. Now we are organic when it's practical. Huh? There are some items that are extremely ex more expensive yet, and but we are evolving every day, and we are every day we are trying to source and get more and more organic. We don't we don't say that we are organic establishment because we have to be a hundred percent for us to say that, huh? but we are evolving and improving every day for that. Mm -hmm. There are two things that are noticeably absent from your menu. 
And they are two drinks that are ubiquitous and that are, are well loved by many people. One is coffee and the other is soda. Yeah, soda have a, a nice story about it. Uh, one week before I opened, I think it was one night before I opened Aubergine, or one week, I don't remember much. I, we hung out with a friend, a neighbor couple, and he said, oh, are you going to sell soda? I said, no. He said, because no restaurant in Utah can survive without selling soda. I, that was a, a, a long night for me. Huh? Said, <laughs> my goodness. But I stick to my to my beliefs, and we we haven't been selling sodas for ten years, and we will not sell soda. Why? Because it's consensus now huh? that soda is bad for us. Has tons of sugar, and sugar is the main source of many diseases. Huh? We what we do? We have lots of great drinks with natural ingredients that they are delicious and there is no refined sugar no added sugar as far as the as coffee there are so many conflicting ideas about coffee being healthy or not healthy because of these conflicting ideas we decide not to have coffee and that was the reason we we don't have both of them okay that's plenty of justification there um, it's interesting i saw on the social media platform next door a conversation about this topic but it was it was about coffee and because you serve breakfast someone was lamenting that there was no coffee and lots of other folks chimed in and you know and both said what no coffee and other folks said go to starbucks next door and get your coffee there and bring it in if it's that important to you. That seems to be a good solution, huh? It's it's challenging. I know that. Né? But we are always uh, asking, né? is it good for people or not? Would we drink or not? Né? As you said, it's it's challenging. But uh, un until we have a clear understand about the goodness of it, uh, yeah. we keep to our menu. Uh-huh. Yeah, sticking to your guns. It's, it's yeah. the mission that you're providing. And now that said, let's talk a little bit about sugar, because I have noticed there that on the counter, you have uh, a few desserts that baked desserts. And then in the drinks, I believe I tried something, maybe cucumber, mint. And so what are you putting in as sweetener? Most of our sweeter, the sweetener is dates, the fruit, because there is fiber. There is, of course, there is content of sugar. There is sugar in almost everything, and yeah? most fruits have sugar. But when you eat with fiber, and there are some uh, ingredients, natural ingredients on the food that helps with less absorption, there will be no spikes, huh? insulin spikes. We try to use the dates, and we also use stevia. Huh? There is zero added sugar. And uh, for some uh, bakery items, dessert, we use monk fruit extract and allulose. Uh, not only monk fruit, because you, the usual uh, monk fruit, uh, the, the most common monk fruit you, you see in the supermarkets, they have erythritol. Erythritol has shown by research that's not good, but we use just monk fruit extract and allulose. Those are the sweeteners used. And we are very concerned about the ingredients we use, as you said, 
our motto is eat better, feel different. I think the best test you can have in a restaurant, whether it's good or bad, it's how you feel afterwards. Because many, many restaurants say, ah, we are real food, we are fresh, but they put tons of sugars in dressings. Yeah? And then when you eat, you feel heavy, bad. The secret of knowing, oh, it's good for you is when you, the way you feel. My husband recently discovered that he has a high food sensitivity to canola oil. And I will tell you that eating out, trying to not have canola oil is extremely difficult. A few moments ago, you mentioned oh, that you use olive oil. Is that the only oil that you use? Yeah. It's the only oil we use in every item we have is extra virgin olive oil. And it's nothing else we use there. Even for ingredients that we buy that there, there might be, has to be like, like the gluten-free bread. We had to make a special order for, for them to make a big batch for us with extra virgin olive oil because they used to use uh, sunflower oil. Therefore, we are very conscious, very careful about this to be always aligned to our principles. Yeah? One of our core values is integrity, what we promise we honor. And uh, we have been using extra virgin olive oil for much time, way before people now are talking about seed, the bed of seed oils. Yeah? Seed oils, they harden the arteries of the hearts, and they, have, uh, they, they are source of inflammation, one of the main problems that brings diseases. Yeah? Therefore, it's a must for us not to use that. In extra virgin olive oil, uh, there is a study by Harvard and that showed that uh, in moderation, it's good for you. It's not only not bad, but it's good for you. And we are always uh, asking the question. Huh? Before, the question was, can we eat here and feel good? It's good for us. Now we ask the question, can our grandkids eat here? If they cannot hear, I say no, we'll, let's change the product. And the source of our extra virgin olive oil we use is from Europe and Italy and Greece. And everything there is you made, even our desserts, né? we use extra virgin olive oil. Some people say, oh, that's not possible. But we have delicious desserts with extra virgin olive oil. No, oh, that's good to know. That's always been my motto. When in doubt, use more olive oil. <laughs> Uh, so one of the things I've noticed, and I've been, I've visited your restaurant twice, and I think you've been only been open maybe two or three months. Is that right? Yeah, we opened on uh, November 30th. I mean, one month, 45 days. One thing I noticed that I love is your salad dressings. And I'm someone who basically only uses salt and olive oil on my salads, but when I tried your, I think it was a spicy mango salad dressing, I immediately wanted the recipe. <laughs> I can share with you. It's good. Oh, good. <laughs> no problem at all. The dressings, what, what was the, what's behind the dressings? Huh? We know that people crave some dressings, huh? but then they eat and feel bad. I said, we need to give to the community what they like, but in a different way that they feel good. And then we, we decide to have, we spent hours, days, months developing, trying, trying recipes. Né? And it's a long process of trying. Né? My wife and we have a, 
other people who work for us, some sous chefs that help us with this development. And uh, the mango dressing, for instance, we have just mango, the natural fruit. It's not juice, mango juice. It's the natural fruit. Uh, and then we sweeten with dates uh, and have other ingredients, also spices. Only that. Then you feel, you feel good. And that's the idea, not to develop every ingredient with much love that has to pass the test of being healthy and delicious. Uh? And uh, when I say my grandkids can eat, and then it's time to go to the menu. Because mm. why my grandkids? Because they're the treasure of my life, no? <laughs> who, I, who I love most. That seems like a good thing for any of us to think about. You know, would I feed this to my child? Would I feed this to my grandchild? And if it's something you wouldn't want for them, why would you want it for yourself? It's a good motto to live by. <laughs> Sometimes you have the test, huh? Should I keep this in the cabinet or should uh, throw away? It's better to throw it to the garbage to put it in our stomach. Eh? Yes. We have this courage to do that. We can avoid many problems. Something else interesting that I noticed on your menu, I'm familiar with Red River Health and Wellness. It's a group of functional medicine doctors in mostly in the Salt Lake Valley. I believe one of your menu items was maybe created in part by Joshua Red, who was the, is the founder of Red River Health and and Wellness. And can you tell me about that partnership or or whatever it is, if it's not yeah. a partnership? It's not a partnership. It's more a friendship. Doctor Red and I are so good, great friends. And he's a I I love Doctor Red because he's always one to learn and to apply what he learned to help. He had lots of health issues in the past and he he overcame, he learned, and now he is giving back to the community. And uh, and he always comes to Aubergine. Eh? And then he 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 made a he created his own bowl and said, oh yes, this here is anti-inflammatory. I would love to spread to my customers. I say, why not to put in the menu? Let's put in the menu and help people. They can choose that. Huh? And that was the partnership. Huh? And uh, as we have, I have lots of uh, nutritional uh, consultants. They are, they are the best doctors in America. Huh? We have Dr. Mark Craig. We have Dr. Ornish. We have Dr. Joel Furman. Joel Furman is one of the top functional doctors in America. He is seven times New York bestseller. And we are bringing him here in April for a big event at UVU for a thousand people and for a, a small group in Park City. And uh, I, I learned with them. I've been studying this for 18 years. I study, I love studying about uh, how our bodies and minds, because they are connected. Huh? If you... Yes. The, the number one source for you to have energy and health is food and physical and mental huh? health. Absolutely. Can you repeat that doctor's name and let us know when, uh, when or more information about, especially when he'll be speaking in Park City? Yeah, Joel Furman. Oh, yes. Okay. He has a wellness center. He's been working with functional medicine for more than 30 years, and he has seven books, all bestsellers, 
and he's coming on 11, April 11th at UVU from 5.30 until 8.30. Uh, and it will be a special group at Park City on the 12th, a small group. And he'll have one hour of question and, and answers. That would be great. He's very good on that. And uh, I think he'll bring lots of great uh, uh, knowledge for us né? that we need. Né? And uh, we have Dr. Ornish. Uh, he is from California. And he is considered the best uh, heart, I would say, doctor in America. We have uh, Dr. Mark Greger. This is a very famous doctor, too, who is more on the plant-based diet. Huh? That's mm -hmm. very, very, very successful now. And I, I'm trying to, I, I always try to learn from the best of the best. Huh? Absolutely. Well, I'm curious about how much your own life and health has transformed you. It's like you have uh, completed a mini master's degree in health and nutrition since you dreamt up this idea of creating Aubergine Kitchen. <laughs> Yeah, I think knowledge is so important to us, no? and uh, we have to be always humble ourselves. So I need to learn more, and especially in this area, we know that the medicine is changed so fast. No? Mm -hmm. Every eighteen months, the concept changes according to Harvard study, and uh, that's the reason it's important for every one of us to be our, our own C, the CEO of our, our own health. Yes. Yeah? Uh, because we, we are the ones who know how we feel. At the end of the day, what do we need? What's bad for us? When I eat something, I feel bad. I know that I shouldn't eat this. Yeah? And then it's important for us to be our, the masters of our health. And of course, with the help of these outstanding doctors we have. I think that's yeah. very important. Huh? My guest is Elcio Zanata. He's the CEO and founder, along with his wife, Marion, of Aubergine Kitchen. They have a new location here in Park City at Kimball Junction. It's the 10th location you can find all of their other locations in the Salt Lake Valley and the, and Utah Valley. Elcio, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and hearing about uh, Aubergine and best of luck to you. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. It was a, a joy to talk to you. And uh, I'm so glad that the Park City community is embracing us, is helping us. We are always striving to improve and to do best for our customers, for them to feel good and to have better lifestyle. Thank you so much. And thank you, Elcio Zanata, Aubergine Kitchen in Kimball Junction next to, oh, let's see, in between the Starbucks and Black Diamond Gymnastics, Kimball Junction Park City. Thanks for tuning in to The Mountain Life here on KPCW Park City.